Saints, Lucha de Mayo here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio or Lucha Kid Radio, I guess you could say this month because it's Lucha de Mayo. And see, I'm saying it right. See, I can say it right. I usually do now, but every once in a while, y'all make me slip. See how I made it your fault? Anyway, my name is Derek Kim Cook, the writer, producer, and host, and luchador aficionado here at the podcast. And I want to welcome you to the show. So, for the most part, every May, we take a look at luchador monster movies, or luchador sci-fi movies, luchador genre films. Not all of the luchador movies from Mexico in the 60s and 70s dealt with monsters or aliens, but most of them did, and those are the movies that we love the most when it comes to luchador monster movies, and that's what we're talking about this time around. We have got Kenny from Old Mexico joining us this week to talk about a movie that, well, he picked it. It's called... You know, I keep going back and forth. Should I try to pronounce these titles in their native language? I'm not going to because I will totally butcher it. But I will tell you that translated, it could mean a couple of different things, like Blue Demon versus the Invaders, Blue Demon versus the Lady Invaders, Blue Demon versus the Seductresses. Yeah, uh, it's Blue Demon, and he's facing some lady aliens. And it's a cool little flick. I had a really good time watching it and an even better time talking with Kenny about it. And I appreciate Kenny going out of his way to make this happen. There was not a lot of time to get this prepped. I wasn't 100% sure we were going to do Lucha de Mayo this year because of just how everything's going down and my schedule and how I've had so many life changes as of late. And he got the second shot this Sunday and that really knocked me out of commission for a day and a half or so. And you know, it's just been kind of a, a crazy time. And Kenny was a champ, man. Dude, I appreciate you so much. So thank you for doing this and for going out of your way to making sure I understood what the heck was going on in the movie. And we'll talk about that during our conversation. Also, it's not all Lucha around here. It's also Ultra. Because we've got Mark Matsky and the Beta Capsule Review this week. Another episode of Ultraman, the original series. The one that really kind of, is it fair to say started it all? I mean, Ultra Q is before Ultraman, but Ultraman really is what took off and became the friend. You know what? Just listen to Mark. He'll break down this week's episode for you. I also want to go through the executive producer roll call. These are the folks that have helped Monster Kid Radio through our Patreon campaign over at patreon.com slash monster kid radio if you are a patron at the toho level or higher which means you pledge three dollars a month we consider you an executive producer and i'm going to go through the list of names right now now i'm going to do this a little bit differently because i don't know i just want to be sensitive to people who might not want their name blabbed all over the internet so i'm gonna just mostly do first names and initials unless you know them as somebody who's been on the show before because a lot of these people have been guests on the show as well independently it's me of being a patron anyway enough with the chipper jabber executive producer roll call we have anthony wendell alistair hughes dennis uh i'm gonna say dennis p in this case <laughs> i'm sorry man uh jason g jonathan a justin g mitch gonzalez terry mount bayou hunter Blaine B, Charles Babbage, Chris McMillan, Curtis, Don E, Jerry Green, James Moore, Jeff Pollier, Jeff Owens, Karen Joan Kahodic, 
Michael H., Paul Curtis, Steve Sullivan, Steve Turek, T. McKay, Timothy F., Todd O., Tracy and Scott Morris, Ingrid C., Jess O., Kevin Slick, Myron R., Tammy A., and, well, this week's guest, Kenny from Old Mexico. If you want to be included in the executive producer roll call or just help support the show through Patreon, please head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. You know what else we're going to do this week? We have a little bit of feedback. Why don't we kick some of that off here right now? Hey, Derek, this is Steve Sullivan calling in about your stop-motion top three films. i got to say, uh, they're pretty great films that you guys mentioned, but I think you have to rule out Willis O'Brien as well as Ray Harryhausen because if you don't rule out Obi, then your top three stop-motion films are Son of Kong, King Kong, and The Lost World, not in that order necessarily. So you'd go Son of Kong, Lost World, King Kong, and we're done. <laughs> or you could go the any one of those three and then The Giant Behemoth and The Black Scorpion. So I, I would rule out Willis O'Brien, too. And unfortunately, that means ruling out Pete Peterson, who often worked with him, as well as Harryhausen. And that way you lose Mighty Joe Young, which you lost already with Harryhausen, and you lose the Black Scorpion, and you lose the Giant Behemoth, all all of which are great films, and you could make those three your top three, too, if you wanted to. But I'm going to eliminate all those. And I'm also not going to give anyone in my top three non-O'Brien, non-Harryhausen films with stop-motion monsters. I'm not going to give any of the three to the same person because again you could start filling it up with the work of just one person so here's here's my top three counting down we have three mad monster party by the rank and bass group the same people that did sid mad did a movie full of monsters it's a little slow but it's got really cool monsters in it and the stop motion is great and the the story is fun too it's very Mad Magazine-like, although a little slow. But the animation's fab, so that's number three. Number two, I'm going to go with something you guys did and to reinforce this, and that is Journey to the Beginning of Time by the Czech animator Carl Zeman. You can get his stuff from, there's like uh, a whole, uh, well, I was going to say library, a whole museum of his stuff in Czechoslovakia or uh, the Czech Republic now, and you can get stuff directly from there, or you can get it from Criterion. Brilliant stuff, great dinosaurs. Check it out. The top slot for me has to go for Jim Danforth and When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, because we've got, oh, I don't know, we've got a plesiosaur, we've got the the strange retosaurus-like creature that... that, uh, parents, Victoria Vitri, we've got all crabs, giant crabs, we've got all sorts of weird stuff, and it's brilliantly animated, some of the best animation ever done, it's a perfect companion to Ray Harryhausen's Caveman movie, uh, One Million Years B.C., so there you go, and again, Danforth, I could fill the top three with just him, we could do this, you could do Jack the Giant Killer, and you could do Seven Faces Dr. Lau, and then we're done again, and that's not even getting into newer people did things like uh, Dragon Slayer, Phil Tippett. So we're ignoring that kind of stuff, but Dragon Slayer would definitely make my top list if I wasn't ruling him out just for being past 1980. So that's it. Those those are my top three. We've got The Mad Monster Party, Journey to the Beginning of Time, When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, Keep Up the Great Work, 
I hope people are enjoying Atomic Tales. We'll keep doing more. I've now scripted them or written them up through episode 11. So, got some catching up to do. Stay safe. Love you all. Steve Sullivan, signing off. So, a couple weeks back, we did our top three stop-motion movies not featuring Ray Harryhausen's magical work with stop-motion animator Ryan Lingle. And, Steve, I completely spaced on Mad Monster Party. I completely just ignored that. I don't know why. It's clearly stop motion. It's Rankin Bass. You know, the first time I saw Mad Monster Party, I didn't like it. Uh, I found it to be incredibly dull and slow. But as I continued to watch it, because I made myself watch it again, I started to really love it. And now I adore that film. And when dinosaurs ruled the Earth, uh yeah. I mean, that's Hammer. You can't go wrong with Hammer. Also, Atomic Tales. Listeners, if you go back to episodes 510 and 515, you can hear episodes or parts one and two of the Atomic Tales story. This is something that Steve writes and is produced by Christopher R. Mim over at St. Euphoria. You know, the Mimiverse, the filmmaker who makes a lot of really cool movies once a year at least. Anyway, we're going to be playing another installment of Atomic Tales this week here on the show. Let us know if you want us to keep doing it. I have fun playing it, just sometimes I forget to run it. So, Steve, thanks for the gentle reminder. I really appreciate it. Okay, we've got another voicemail here from Captain Billy. I did trim some of it out because it was you know, just personal between him and I, but I wanted to include this portion of the voicemail. Hey, Derek. It's uh, Captain Billy. Yeah, I just saw a trailer, and I mean just saw a trailer, for a movie called Endless Night. It's from 73, and there's lots of dialogue and lots of music. Oh, by the way, music by Bernard Herman. I just finished watching a movie, and the trailer was on the disc. And uh, interesting trailer, you may be able to play. A lot of talking, a lot of music. Like three and a half, like three minutes long, so it's a nice, uh, nice piece of film. It's got Brett Eklund in it, and it's um, supposed to be based on an Agatha Christie book. Thank you for calling that in and letting me know about it, because... I had never even heard of this movie, and you'd think, since I'm a fan of Bernard Herrmann's music, I would have, I don't know, stumbled across this title at some point, but yeah, uh, never heard of it before, and I did check out the trailer, and this movie looks incredibly cool. It looks so cool that I'm going to play the trailer here in a second, and then we'll get on with the rest of the show. And you know what? Before I do that, I probably ought to tell you that the music you're hearing right now is the song Beatnik Bandit. We have played this on the show in the past before. In fact, we played it back uh, several years ago when we had Kenny on the show talking about a Santo film. The band is the Blue Demons. They gave us permission to play this song on the show back then. We're playing it again now. I hope you enjoy it. You'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the show. You can find the band on Facebook. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, let's get to the trailer for Endless Nights and the rest of the show right now. Gypsy's Acre. A quiet place in the country. No hint of anything sinister. But sunlight and shadows can play strange tricks. That was the first time I saw Ellie. Very first time. A beautiful girl. A summer romance. All perfectly innocent. And yet... I've got a feeling we're being followed. That's funny. That's what I thought when I came here. Get away from this place, girl. Go now before the harm's done. Tell nobody, not even your closest friend, the terrifying secret of endless night. From the best-selling novel by Agatha Christie comes a film masterpiece of chilling suspense. 
And yet, curiously, it is a love story. Mike, please don't go. Please don't leave me. Please, please. I've never met anyone like you before. Never. Never. This really is a love story. But nothing is really what it seems. 11,000. 12,000. It's a deadly game of pretending. 13,000. For everyone. 14,000. Even Mike, who plays in one world and lives in another. Where to now, madam? Uh, back to carriages, Rogers. Certainly, madam. Close friends get closer all the time. I really love Eddie, Mike. But the house in Gypsy's Acre keeps its secrets. I can't see anything. Your health, madam. It's a house of tomorrow. A house of many surprises. But what seems like a fabulous place to live may be a fantastic place to die. Stay where you are. His incompetence borders on the supernatural. I can't reach you. Whether of this world or the supernatural, the danger is very real, very close. I thought I heard something. What was it? Like a child crying. That sound that you and Greta heard. It wasn't a child, was it? It was a cat. Siamese cat. You've let it take possession. Tell nobody, not even your closest friend, the terrifying secret of endless night. From the creators of One Million BC, When dinosaurs ruled the earth, it is the beginning, the darkest age of all. The wings of a monstrous bird darken the sky. A great beast lumbers forth in search of prey. A beautiful virgin is marked for death. It is the beginning, a time of terror, pagan worship, human sacrifice. From across the shadowy abyss of time, Warner Brothers brings you... When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. Rated G, General Audiences. Now, creatures from the grave battle each other to see who or what will be left. See all the remains in War of the Undead. A super triple shock treat starring your favorite ghastly ghouls. See the Prince of Vampires fight the King of Monsters in Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Then watch the maddest werewolf alive slash vampires to pieces in Frankenstein's bloody terror. And of course, see vampires slaughter savage cavemen in horror of the blood monsters. It's triple terror, three times the thrills, torments, and tortures as bloodthirsty demons meet in the massacre of the century. 
Don't miss the greatest triple shocker of all. It's Dracula versus Frankenstein. Frankenstein's bloody terror and horror of the blood monsters all in one super show. It's war. War of the Undead in blood-drenched color. Rated PG. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. A spinning steering wheel, a single car accident, a trail of green goo, and a gelatinous man-sized plant executing two men, all happening in the first two minutes of screen time, that's the breathless beginning of the fifth episode of Ultraman, The Secret of the Miraganda. The Science Patrol responds to all this by heading in two directions. Captain Muramatsu and Hayata investigate the car wreck, enlisting the help of Dr. Iwamoto, while Arashi and Ito arrive at the Greenhouse Globe, where they learn of genetic experiments being conducted on plant life by a certain Professor Yamada. Yamada had led a research team to Oilus Island, and it becomes apparent that those who were killed were members of Yamada's team. While guarding photographer Hamaguchi, the only surviving Yamada team member, Arashi is attacked by the plant monster Greenmons. The Science Patrol dispatches the creature with their beam weapons, but it reappears later as a kaiju-sized threat. Arashi attempts to settle the score with his trusty spider shot, but succumbs to Greenmon's toxic pollen spray. Hayata transforms into Ultraman, but is himself staggered by the green mist, and only has a few precious seconds to stop Greenmon's relentless growth. There's considerable star power in Episode 5, beginning with the appearance of Dr. Iwamoto, played by Akihiko Hirata. Famous for his portrayal of Dr. Serizawa in 1954's Godzilla, Hirata's presence lends the proceedings an air of credibility and seriousness, which is offset by Ito's clowning throughout the episode. The role of the photographer Hamaguchi is played by Akiko Wakabayashi, who had appeared in Ultra Q's ninth episode, Baron Spider, Toho Classics, King Kong vs. Godzilla, and Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster, and one year after Ultraman, would become an international star thanks to James Bond in You Only Live Twice. This is a pretty whimsical episode for a story about a homicidal plant. For example, watch for the transitions between scenes. They give the term green screen new meaning. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Mad Monster Party! Starring Boris Karloff, and in order of their appearance, Dracula, Frankenstein, the werewolf, the hunchback, the mummy, Dr. Jekyll, <laughs> and in order of his disappearance, the invisible man. Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the least. <laughs> Let's dance. <laughs> <laughs>
It's the come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed. It's a psychedelic scary. With the grooviest ghouls of all time. Mad Monster Party! Punch, anyone? It's a blast. I am Dr. Lee Cushion. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Stephen D. Sullivan and St. Euphoria present... Atomic Tales! Stories of science, mystery, and excitement. This episode features the latest adventure in our fantastic original series, Strange Invaders. Tonight, we continue our adventures and reveal a bit about the start of the invasion in a story we call Bugged by Flying Saucers. Join us now as we present another in our continuing series of Atomic Tales. I didn't get this job because of my dad. The young blonde driving our bureau car remarked out of the blue. I never said you did, I replied. But you thought it, she insisted. Everybody at the agency does, just because my dad's a general. And the liaison to the U.S. Science Bureau, I noted, and immediately regretted doing so out loud. Gloria G.G. Brock turned and glared at me in the back seat. I'm not just a secretarial assistant, Agent One. I have a degree, you know. One day, I'm going to be an agent. I'm sure, I replied. But could you keep your eyes on the road while you drive, please? My chauffeur, come future agent, turned back to driving and laughed. Afraid you'll lose another bureau car? What is it, two now in less than a month? The second one was Agent Seven's. And this one would be on you if you put us in a ditch. But you were there when that second car got destroyed. She continued, ignoring my dig. I nodded. Guilty as charged. It was the bugs again, right? She asked. Gigi had passed all her security clearances, so even though she was a new hand at the bureau, I felt safe being candid with her. Yeah. She gave an impressed whistle. Giant bugs, who'd have thought? How'd this all start? I mean... I've read the files, but 
you were there too, right? Yep. So tell me about it. If I'm going to be an agent, I need to know what it's like in the field. I could see no polite way to weasel out of this conversation, so I settled into the back seat and resigned myself to filling her in. It would be a long drive to the airport for my rendezvous with Agent 2 anyway. Okay, here's the deal. I have to admit, I wasn't too impressed when Prof Tarragon sent me out to investigate a series of flying saucer reports in the Rockies. People have been seeing unidentified objects in the sky since the Kenneth Arnold sightings back in 47, right? Gigi nodded enthusiastically as she drove. You bet. As with a lot of incidents, I continued, the center of these sightings was pretty remote, but, like any good agent, I quickly made my way via the nearest airport and then picking up a bureau car to the town of Moret, Colorado, population 150. How long have you been seeing these lights, Mr. Jensen? I asked. Oh, a few weeks now, I guess. But call me Tim, stranger. Everybody does. I didn't quite catch your name, Mr... The scrawny middle-aged man flashed me a gap-toothed smile. He was dressed in jeans, work boots, and a red and black flannel shirt. Against the chill of the late spring evening, he smelled of tobacco and stale beer. Agent Raymond, I replied. It's bureau policy to give only first names when possible. Luckily, mine can pass for either, avoiding the need to elaborate. FBI? Jensen inquired. Something like that, I said, briefly flashing my science bureau shield. USSB, official government business. He nodded knowingly. I figured some of you government types would want in on this. That's why I called the Air Force. They didn't seem too interested when I called, but... But here I am. So, what made you contact us? Well, it ain't natural, is it? Things buzzing about the sky like that, not making no sound? They ain't airplanes, I can tell you that. Oh, you certain about that? You bet your boots I am. I worked a carrier back in the war, Pacific Theater. Ain't no planes of ours can move like that. None of the Japs neither. Silent as ghosts they were. And one minute they're flitting about over the trees and between the mountains, and then the next, boom, vanished. Shoot right up into the sky, faster than you can see, I expect. I didn't used to believe in flying saucers, but now... He trailed off, thoughtfully, gazing down from his mountainside cabin into the wooded valley stretching out below. The scent of the pine trees wafted to us on a gentle evening breeze. The sun had set and darkness was closing in. The first stars already blazed brightly in the cerulean sky overhead. So they're saucer-shaped? I asked. Jensen scratched his balding head. Well, not exactly. It's hard to describe. They're big lights and they glow like a yellowish green. Sometimes they flash. Sometimes they just burn bright. How big, would you say? Hard to tell. Up on the mountainside with them so far away, but I'd say maybe five or ten yards across. Maybe more. And like I say, they're moving fast and there's one now. He pointed down into the wooded valley below and sure enough, a bright green light flitted over the treetops. It moved erratically, sometimes looping or turning at obtuse angles, sometimes vanishing for a few moments before reappearing somewhere nearby. I told you, Jensen enthused. Silent as ghosts. Ain't no aircraft can move like that. Reluctantly, I had to agree. I had no way to tell how big the thing was, but it was too persistent and moved too strangely to be fireworks or any kind of aircraft I knew. Let's go check it out, I suggested. You know these woods better than I do, Tim. Jensen paled. No thank you, Mr. Agent, sir. I don't want to turn into no mindless alien slave. I seen that They Come From Outer Space movie. 
You go look if you like, but pardon me if I don't put my neck in the same noose. Disagreeing would have been pointless. So with a few grumbled words of thanks, I fetched my flashlight and my pistol from the glove compartment of my Studebaker and hiked downhill toward the phenomenon. As I went, a second weird light joined the first, darting above the treetops in the valley, moving very fast and changing direction frequently. Soon, it and the first light were circling each other before veering off and streaking between the rocky mountainsides. Definitely not swamp gas, I muttered to myself as the slope leveled off. I couldn't help but feel that there was some kind of intelligence behind the movement of those uncanny glows. And then, a third light appeared, and a fourth, joining the others in their weird aerial ballet. I squinted into the gathering darkness, still trying to determine how large the objects were, or what their true shape might be, but to no avail. The circle of illumination from my flashlight played across the bed of pine needles and low scrub ahead of me, but I still missed my footing on the uneven ground. I stumbled, and for a moment the beam careened wildly across the treetops and into the sky as I tried to both keep my footing and hang on to the light's sturdy metal housing. Just as I righted myself, one of the circling lights suddenly broke off from the rest and veered in my direction, its glow flashing brighter as it came. I dropped the flashlight and caught my balance, drew my gun and took aim. Don't make me shoot whatever you are, I called, well aware that the thing might not hear me or even understand English. I ducked as it zipped overhead, a drumbeat buzzing sound droning in my ears. The thing wasn't nearly as large as I'd guessed from a distance, but moving at that speed I figured it could still take my head off. It looped around a tree trunk and came back at me. Halt, or I'll shoot, I warned. It didn't stop. It streaked straight toward me. I fired. Three shots, dead center, just like they teach you in the service. The light seemed to break up. The weird buzzing sputtered and my oddball opponent tumbled to the ground. Turned out, it wasn't that big at all. Only a bit larger than a dinner plate. Its glow pulsed as it writhed on the ground, dying. Its six spiky legs flailing. I'll be damned. A firefly. Needless to say, it was a lot bigger than any firefly I'd ever seen before. I felt kind of bad that I'd killed it. I picked up my flashlight from the forest floor and kept the beam aimed at the ground. The rest of the oversized bugs, there were half a dozen of them at the peak of their activity, left me alone. Strangely, the body of the one I'd killed quickly disintegrated, decaying in mere moments into a pool of foul-smelling bug guts and glowing greenish goo. In a moment, even the small remainder disappeared, sinking into the soil or evaporating. It left not a single sample for me to take back to the Bureau, much to the disappointment of the Doc and our other scientists. When I reported to HQ, Professor Tarragon informed me that the insects were harmless pollen eaters and shouldn't be a threat to humans, even at that freakish size. The Bureau sent out Agents 7 and 9 to collect evidence and take pictures, but we were unable to lure the giant fireflies into coming anywhere near us after my initial encounter. Maybe they'd learned it was dangerous to mess with human beings. I gazed out the Studebaker's window, watching the last glow of sunset disappear behind the trees as the car neared the small airfield. That might have been the end of it if the incidents had stopped there. After all, what's a few big fireflies putting on a light show in Colorado every spring? Jensen and the locals in Moret were pretty happy about the bugs, figured they had a new tourist attraction, one they didn't even have to feed or maintain. I shook my head ruefully. How could any of us, even the tarragons or the other big brains in the Bureau, know those fireflies would just be the start? 
What do you think is going on with all this weird stuff, Agent One? Who knows? At first, we thought the bugs were just a natural mutation. Later, Doc Tarragon posited the outlandish growth might be related to atomic radiation. Moret is downwind from a few test sites. But now, giant bugs popping up, UFOs buzzing the skies, reports of unnatural creatures haunting the U.S. Things used to be so normal. My young chauffeur opined. Now it's almost like we're caught in some kind of strange invasion. Yeah, almost, I mused. So, you said that Colorado was only the start. What happened next? When did the Terragons decide there was more to it? When did the Bureau expand, and... I thought you said you'd read the files. I did, but hearing you talk about it really makes the whole thing come alive. For a moment, I almost thought she was flirting with me, but I quickly dismissed the idea. She was cute, I'll admit, but she was also barely old enough to vote, and a general's daughter to boot. Whatever happened after that, we'll have to wait for our next ride, I replied with a grin. We're here, and I've got a plane waiting. Keep your nose clean. Agent Brock. I will. She assured me. Don't take any wooden nickels, Agent One. I won't. (laughs) And try not to crash Agent Two's car. She added laughingly. The Bureau's not made out of money, you know. This has been an original story of Strange Invaders, part of our ongoing series of Atomic Tales, brought to you by St. Euphoria Productions. Tonight's episode, Bugged by Flying Saucers, was written by Stephen D. Sullivan. It was produced, edited, and read by Christopher R. Mim and featured Gwen Ruhoff as Gloria Gigi Brock. Be sure to tune in next month for more Atomic Tales. Visit us at www.atomictales.com. Please support the films of Christopher R. Milne by visiting SaintEuphoria.com and the work of Stephen D. Sullivan via his Patreon at PaySteve.com. All elements of this episode are copyright 2021 by their creators and may not be reproduced or reused without permission. Atomic Tales and Strange Invaders are trademarks of Stephen D. Sullivan, all rights reserved. genius of Roger Corman, who brought to the screen Edgar Allan Poe's most shocking horror tales, comes the ultimate in blood-chilling screen experiences, The Terror, starring the incomparable Boris Karloff. You think I'm mad, don't you? In the role he was born to play, The Terror, bedeviled by his own mad, all-consuming passions. With my own hands, I killed her. The Terror, his evil Mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. If he resists, kill him. American International presents The Terror, starring Boris Karloff, dean of all horror demons, in this, his most demanding terrorization, The Terror, a film group production in color and vistascope. Three animated TV series, three animated feature films, over 50 years of stories, over 150 characters, 10 core comic book titles, 27 spin-off comic book titles, nearly 30 limited series spin-offs, and of course, four feature films. Well, okay, five if you count Captain America Civil War, or maybe it's like four and a half. The Avengers are a Marvel Comics mainstay, and no matter how many films crush it at the box office, or how many more Avengers spin-off titles come out, It all comes back to that original comic series 
that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby thrust upon the world in 1963. And I'm going to read the entire run. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm a recovering comic book fan. Over on my YouTube channel, Comicstalgia, you can join me as I make my way through the comic with my Reading the Avengers YouTube series. Every episode, I'll take a look at an issue of the comic, share my thoughts about the story, its artwork and characters, and reflect on how the issue may have impacted or inspired other facets and corners of all things Marvel. I'd like to invite you to join me as I make my way through every single issue of this iconic comic book. Assemble with me at tinyurl.com slash readingtheavengers or look up Comicstalgia on YouTube where you can find all the previous episodes and even subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything while we're reading The Avengers. That's tinyurl.com slash readingtheavengers. Nuff said. Good evening, Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go Forth, Game! Good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Okay, listeners, I didn't know if I was going to do it or not because I just wasn't organized enough. It's been a heck of a year, and I didn't get enough Luchador movies in the hopper here to talk about on Monster Kid Radio. But if there's anybody that I know that I can count on to tag me in when it comes to a wrestling match, it's Kenny from Old Mexico. How you doing, man? Doing good. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Welcome to Lucha de Mayo. I did it again. Darn it. Ah! Lucha de Mayo. <laughs> Mayo. I, I swear. Mayo. It's Lucha de Mayo. Man, 
<laughs> I, I was saying it right for like over a year, and then y'all gave me some grief at the Monster <laughs> Kid Movie Club, and it, it reverted back. Lucha de Mayo. Mayo. You got it. Lucha you de got Mayo. It. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, how how are things going, man? Before we started recording, you, you said that you got a chance to see uh, the original King Kong versus Godzilla in a theater. Yeah, how awesome is that? Pretty amazing. I was uh, hoping that there would be other brave monster kids there. I don't think there was any, but I was basically there with three or four other people in a big giant theater. And but it was really cool. And it was funny when you went in, the girl would say, "This is the old one. It's not the new one." <laughs> I was like. <laughs> The old one. I want the old one. But it was a good time to get on, on the big screen, just like it was 1962 again. Wow. How awesome is that? Oh, so cool. Although, you know, to be fair, there aren't any luchadors in that movie. Well, I'm just saying. Kind of. They're wearing masks, and they're kind of wrestling. So, hey, close enough, right? Okay. Okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wrestling. That was definitely a mask <laughs> that Kong was wearing there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, I was, where was I? I was somewhere online or I was in a conversation and somebody was talking about how much they love. Oh, it was in the Monster Kid Movie Club. Uh, one of the questions was, what's your favorite kaiju suit? And somebody brought up the King Kong from King Kong versus Godzilla. And, you know, I, I like what you like, but really compared to the original Kong film, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it doesn't really hold up, but. I mean, it's got its own charm. So. That had to be a nostalgia thing. Like, that must have been his first Kaiju film. It was cool when you're a kid and you just remember that because. Oh, sure. It, it does not hold up. <laughs> Under the critical eye. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. It's, it looks pretty beat up and ratty. But, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. So I'm not, I'm not going to dog on it too much. <laughs> and, and that's a nostalgia. That's your first one. I remember, if I remember correctly, your first kaiju film. So Yeah, that I saw start to finish at the big screen, man. Oh. My first kaiju film was Destroy All Monsters. And, and I saw it. My brothers and my aunt took me to see it. I think I was probably six, probably seven or eight years old, seven years old I had to be. And it was a double feature, like a late night double feature, The Terror and Destroy All Monsters. The terror scared the crap out of me and destroy all monsters. So that was a dinosaur nut beforehand. So destroy all monsters, man. That was just like the tops for me. Oh right? yeah, I bet. So I love that. And that was like my first one. So I got the super monster rally. First one, everything else was a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> everything goes downhill from there. <laughs> Godzilla 1954. What's he fighting? What? What's he fighting? Light poles and buildings? <laughs> Where was that train that was looking at him real mean? You know, he had to take the train out. Oh, poor train. Oh, man. Those movies are just, it, there's just something comforting about those movies. And I'm going to say there's something comforting about these luchador films, too. You, you give me a guy in a mask fighting whatever, and I'm in. In fact, the other day, Dominique, you know Dominique. She's been on the show. Yes. She's been to Monster Bash. Uh, she called me, or no, she didn't call me. She sent me a message on Facebook and said, I'm going to Hawthorne Street to the Dead People store. I'll be at your house at noon to pick you up. Now, I didn't know what this meant. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've learned a long time ago. I've been friends with Dominique for a long time. Don't question her. Um, <laughs> so Hawthorne Street is this uh, street here in Portland where there's a bunch of uh, kind of niche sometimes kind of high-end retail shops all locally owned or whatever, and a lot of walking around outside. So we were able to keep socially distant, wore my mask. We wore our mask when we went into these businesses and all that. And the Dead People Store is a place called, 
the gold door, I think. I'll double check. But it's uh, a place where a woman who owns the place apparently goes down to Mexico every few months and cleans out all of the uh, the little vendor stalls in the various small towns that she comes across, brings it all up here to Portland, marks it up, and sells it. <laughs> and so, yeah, I bought a luchador mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see one of those things in the United States, like you have to buy them. Like these here, I went into like a comic store in Calexico, which is right on the border. But it was like a comic book store, but they had these luchador dolls. And it's like, Santa and Blue Demon, they're in the United States already. I'm going to buy them and then import them back into Mexico and probably pay the price. I'd probably get a kick out of going to a store like that and, and seeing the prices they give them and knowing that, oh, in Mexico, I could probably get that for peanuts, you know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, when I picked up my luchador mask and I went to the, the counter to pay for it, uh, she told me she picked it up at some, uh, what did she say, some fight center lucha dome thing in mexico city like oh cool that's awesome of course i get it home and it's made exactly like all the other luchador masks that i've picked up at the military surplus store but still whatever i mean i got a luchador mask now another another one so yeah anyway we're, we're kind of on a shorter period of time because we've got the monster kid astronomy club coming up here shortly but before we get into luchador movies you want to do the classic five real quick the classic you know, I just, re that's recording. I may end up using that. You know that, right? All right. Well, you could like do a little harmony thing with Steve's version there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder if I could. I like Simon and Garfunkel. <clears throat> Kenny and Steve, Simon and Garfunkel. Awesome. <laughs> I like it. I like it. The Classic Five! All right, the Classic Five, for people who don't know, it's a game that we play on every episode of Monster Kid Radio. I've got a deck of cards here. I'm going to draw five of them and take a breath. Each one of these cards says a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get Monster Kids talking, start some new conversations, make some new friends. Kenny, are you ready to play? I am ready. Now, you've probably gone through every one of these already, <laughs> but you know what? Our answers change on a weekly basis a lot of times when it comes to what's your favorite this, your favorite that. So here we go. Now, counting the original, what's your favorite Hammer Dracula film? Not counting the original, and it has to be Dracula. Uh, I would have to say, you know, I'm going to say Dracula AD 72. Yes. Again, that's, it, it all depends on where and you know like you say it changes all the time the first one that came to my head is dracula has risen from the grave because i've seen that more often that was played a lot on creature features with bob wilkins and i've seen uh -huh. i think that's the one i've seen the most but when i think about it it's, i'm not really a big fan of the movie itself but i like dracula ad 72 i dug it you know dracula is back in the first now Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972. And with this new motion picture, an unrivaled event, horror ritual. You will participate with a Transylvanian vampire himself, swearing you in as an honorary member of the Count Dracula Society. He comes back from the living dead to extend you his personal invitation. Join me in the horror ritual. You heard it with your own ears from his blood-red lips. Get your honorary membership card when you see the new Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972, and participate in the horror ritual. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. I dug the 70s. 
thing. A lot of people don't. And it's got Caroline Monroe, not a big role, but and the opening scene on the wagon and Van Helsing killing Dracula with the wagon wheel. That's a fantastic. And the images that you see like in Famous Monsters of that fight are so memorable. So I'm going to say that one, Dracula AD 72. I'm a big fan of creative vampire killings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if you can do something other than just a traditional stake in the heart, you've got my attention. And this one does use the wagon wheel. And then later on, uh, he basically burns away and drowns one in a bathtub with running water, which is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, and I love that too. So, hey, I love it. All right. Card number two. Ooh. Favorite giant monster, Kong or Godzilla? Ouch. Oh. Uh, I go with King Kong. Uh, you know, yeah? I'm, a stop motion, I'm a stop motion animation guy, and I love the original Kong and Son of Kong. Their ne- little nephew, Mida Joe Young. I like the Japanese King Kong, too. I like uh, King Kong Escapes was one of the one of my first kaijus. Destroy Your Monsters was there. I saw several on Creature Features, but at a little matinee theater in Springfield, Oregon, I, when I was a kid, I went to see King Kong Escapes, and I loved it. I love King Kong Escapes. I just think he's cool and monster. And of the new movies, my favorite of the four legendary films is Skull Island. I thought King Kong was really good in that, and I enjoyed that, and I liked that they did wow. the fights in the daytime. I'm tired of these new CG kaiju movies with all these nighttime fights. That doesn't. I like the daytime kaiju thing so i but at king kong i like godzilla too but uh you know my favorite godzilla movie is godzilla versus the thing his entrance in that movie is fantastic when he comes out out of the dirt i love that Mm -hmm. but really uh king kong my favorite of those two yeah i knew that about the stop motion so maybe i shouldn't have been surprised or 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 wondered if it was going to be too hard to answer because i knew that you love stop motion so yeah that makes more sense Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense all right, card number three. Oh, the monolith monsters or monster on the campus? Oh, the monolith monsters. Monsters on the campus is a movie I saw when I was younger. I had creature features again, and um, I, I enjoyed that movie. But And monolith monsters was one that was hard to see or was, was not available. When I finally saw it, I got the DVD set of those 50s uh, sci-fi, universal sci-fi films. And I was, mm-hmm. I'm amazed by monolith monsters. And if I were to say, okay, I'm going to, I want to watch a 50s sci-fi, I would probably pick that one because I love Tarantula and I love Incredible Shrinking Man as well. Uh, those are my favorites, but I've seen them many times. So all those monsters mm-hmm. I've only seen like twice, and that's the one that's that most, I just the concept was so cool and so original and different. And there's one scene, I, I can't remember exactly what happens, but it's like a little kid or it's like petrified. Yeah. It's scary. It's terrifying. Shocking. So, yeah, those two, Monolith Monsters, and that's one of, I would say, top three of my favorite 50s sci-fi films from the Universal. It's it's a good one. It is yeah. so good. Yeah. yeah. And it's the original idea of it where it's like oh, nothing yeah. you've seen before, and no one's really tried it, anything like that again. And it's really a, an interesting idea. I liked it. It really is. Yeah. Yep. All right, Amazing Colossal Man or Attack of the 50-Foot Woman? Wow, the lesser of two evils. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's one of those, depends which I've seen the soonest type 
choices. Okay. But I'm going to say Attack of the 50 Foot Women because I think Evic Vickers is cute and <laughs> Amazing Classical oh, oh. Man doesn't doesn't really have you know any really cute. He doesn't do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then June Allison isn't bad either, you know, and um, I get a little bit with the, uh, the Colossal Man movies, the see-through effects really throw me off. And mm. so I can take, I can take the little kid stall <laughs> that the Attack of the 50 Women is holding better. It's kind of a, a funner special effect to me than the see-through Colossal Man. So I'm going to say Attack of the 50 Women. All right, and this last card, I'm just the last question I'm just making up off the top of my head because it fits with today's theme. What's a monster you've never seen the Luchadors fight that you'd like to see fight? A monster I'd like to see fight. A Luchador fight. Well, heck, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Right? Or has he done that? So, as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I realized, oh, yeah, creature. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there's uh, like a creature-like movie, but I don't know if they've actually done. But to have a Luchador team... Like a, like a three, the Mill Mascaris, Blue Demon, and Santo go to mm-hmm. the Amazon jungle and actually have to do battle. Because oh. really, really, this creature, we don't really see the creature battle that much with humans and to be able to see them. And that, and that leads right into this movie today because, you know, Blue Demon's ready to fight the creature from the Black Lagoon. He got, really is, for, for no good reason. <laughs> yeah. He's, he carries scuba gear in his car. So what the heck, man? He's ready. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and if he loses it, his detective friend carries one in his car, too. Fantastic. <laughs> Isn't that like just come standard with every car in Mexico? You would know. You're down there. Don't you just keep you know scuba oh. gear next to the spare tire? and then? Yeah, we're like, especially where I live. <laughs> we have so much right, water just in here. case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Oh yeah, we're always ready to go scuba diving. <laughs> there you go. And in fact, in fact, when uh, when Blue Demon goes into the water during the movie we're going to talk about, I instantly thought of you that you're like, is he going to find the creature? Is he going to find the creature? No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cool though. I think it would be really neat uh, to see like a Luchador monster movie. And like you said, I, I love the idea. You know, if if we could figure out a way to write it without, like, dealing with copyright problems, I'd write it in a minute. I would love to see that. I'd also love to see a team of luchadors take on a kaiju of some sort. I just don't know how it would work. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just want to see luchadors and, and giant monsters. I, I just, again, don't know how I would pull it off, but I'd love to see well, it. Well, here, here's an idea, like, taking the uh, Pacific Rim idea and, mm-hmm. and where they would have the giant robots. And they're like, these crazy kids in their video games they just do not know how to fight these kaiju monsters who would know how to fight these kaiju monsters who can we get to wear these suits oh then they could say hey well let's get blue demon let's get the santo in there and they could be wearing those suits and then they could do the kaiju robots they could say hey, you know hey we're gonna paint it up you know and then have, have those guys behind the scene guys go hey did you hear they're gonna have blue demon and santo run these things let's paint them up you know and then they could paint masks on the oh on the on the robots and then have them do uh, CG wrestling moves against the kaiju monsters. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> and, and Guillermo de Toro would be perfect for doing that. Cause I'm, I'm sure he loves luchador. I mean, he's a Mexican guy and you know, he's got both fandoms going at the same time. I, I think he'd be perfect for doing that. 
I don't know why he hasn't already. <laughs> I, I'm sure he's listening. So Guillermo, if you you know, <laughs> make that happen, okay? <laughs> oh, I love that idea so much. Ah, uh, well, I, I we could keep daydreaming about that, or we can talk about Blue Demon fighting off some uh, uh, ten women from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's let's do it, man. Blue Demon versus versus contra las invasores versus the invaders. It's also can be found uh, Blue Demon versus the seductress seductors seductores, which would be seductresses. That's the movie that I chose. And just for a reminder and for the new people out there, why I do a Blue Demon movie every year. In 2014, I had a weekend with Blue Demon. I won't go through the details of that. You can listen to older podcasts and uh, hear that whole story. But uh, at one point during the time I was with Blue Demon Jr., Blue Demon Jr., I asked him, what, is your, what do you think is your father's best film? And he told me, uh, Santo contra los monsters, Santo and Blue Demon versus the monsters. So it's like, okay. And we watched that. That was the movie they were showing at the Monster Bash the, when I was with him. And I watched it and I was like, really? Because Blue Demon's role in that, he's basically turned into a zombie and, and fights against Santo, but he doesn't really act and he doesn't uh, have a lot to do in that movie. And I'm thinking, that's really his best. And he did all these solo films. So I'm like, I've been wanting to go through all of his films and seeing, is that really his best film? Come on, Lou Demon Jr. Your dad did solo films. One of these has got to be better than that, where he's actually acting and talking and stuff. So that's been my goal. And I'm telling you right now, at first watch on almost all of these films, there's the hands on the forehead going, oh my goodness. But when I watch them again and again to prepare for the podcast, they just grow on me. Uh, I don't understand it, but they grow on me. And this one too, I, you know, I, I like, I, I have fun with this one. Again, that's the, the <laughs> our favorite word. I'm going to try not to use too much this time is fun, but that's, that's what these are. And that's, this is, this is no different. I agree with you. Uh, there, there's something about them that just is magical. And the more you watch it, the more it just, the magic grows and I don't know what it is. It just, it just happens. And I love it. They're so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a 1969 film and it's hard to believe it. It plays like a fifties film. It's a it basic, really does. The, basic, yeah. the movie it reminds me most of at first is Mars needs women, except this time it's uh, Mars needs men. Um, the plot line that is. And it's interesting. It's what, one of the things I like about this movie they're not going big. When you think about like Plan 9 from Outer Space, it's fun and super and, and funny, but it's super ridiculous when you think about it. They're supposedly going to take over the world with this Plan 9. And it's, and it's just like, no, it's, no. But these girls come to the Earth and they're basically here. It's like, we need to kidnap a handful of guys and take them back. There's a virus killing our men and we need these guys to hopefully we can get a vaccine to help our guys not be killed by this virus. So it's very topical for this coronavirus time, the movie. Mm -hmm. So well, it's not on purpose. It, it's just happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that the, the, the basic theme of the movie is them coming to kidnap some guys, bring them back to their planet and use them, you know, use their blood to make a serum 
that goes against the virus. And so they're not there to take over the world. So the, the screenwriters kept it small because, hey, we don't, we don't have a budget. You know, we have like 50 cents to make this movie. So let's, <laughs> <laughs> so let's keep it small. That's one of the number of things that I'll bring up during our talk today, this, the, the, the positive aspects of a really cheesy movie. But that, to me, it's, I like the idea that they're keeping it small. They're not overdoing it. It's not like their invaders are going to take over the world, you know, by landing in a lake and fighting with a Mexican wrestler. We picked out some guys. We like these Mexican guys. We picked them out. We're going to take them, and that's all we're going to mm-hmm. do. So that's the basic storyline. But there's some interesting things into the, in that. Like, for example... In the movie, and I know we're not going to. I don't feel like going through the plot. That's basically the plot, and I think yeah, it pretty much is. Yeah, I want to encourage people to watch this, so I don't want to tell them the whole story, but I do want to tell mm-hmm. them, you know talk about a few things. One of the things I, I found interesting in the storyline as well, somewhat original. I feel like I I don't remember seeing this in another movie. A lot of times you'll have the situation so there's a group of alien women, mm-hmm. and then one of them will fall in love with a human and basically betray the rest of them. But in this movie, there's actually two traitors and they established that pretty quick in the movie that, Hey, there's, there's two women. So one is a uh, Narda. She falls in love with Lou Demon's friend is a detective Ramon, you know, and it's like a positive thing. Like she wants, she doesn't want this to happen. She doesn't want Ramon to be taken. She wants to live a life on earth. She loves Ramon, and she becomes like a heroine. It's kind of sweet, yeah. Yeah. The other girl, Nita, she falls in love with this mad scientist. This is wacky, but you know, and <laughs> and this movie is very economic in its storytelling because the girls arrive, and we get to see each one of them beam down, you know, <laughs> from wherever they were onto the spaceship one at a time, so we can see how pretty each one is. Yeah, they were really kind of filling time there, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they talk with their big leader, and they figure out what they're going to do. They learn how the world fights by watching women wrestling match. And then they cut instantly that they're with the guys that they're going to kidnap. They've been working for them. (laughs) One of them sings a song for them. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, in today's filmmaking you'd be we'd be seeing all the how they got there and how they did this it would be it would have to be a tv series they just jump right into it so anyways this girl nita she's in love with this german crazy mad scientist and the and they're like oh i love you i love you let's go and destroy the universe <laughs> you know and and she betrays basically betrays what they're doing too so there's like two traitors amongst these women <laughs> only like six of them and two of them are, are traitors. And one of them like falls into total evil with her uh, earthly lover. And the other uh-huh. one like, you know, falls in love with the blue demon's friend. So it's, it's, and it's like, I don't remember ever seeing that in a movie where you have two traitors. And in, in the 70, 80 minute movie, <laughs> it's, that's a lot of story to go through. It is really, I, I thought that too, when I was watching it, I thought, it really just zipped along really quick. And even when they were kind of padding for time a little bit with the beaming in of the women, which I thought that was kind of a neat way to do it, you know, with some flashing lights, a little bit of smoke. And was there a sound? Did it have the sound effect there or was that later? In the- yeah, that's a little, 
similar to the one used in Santa versus the Martian Invasion, but a little bit different. You know, yeah. There was, there was a lot of interesting sounds going on in this movie, kind of like a Forbidden Planet type soundtrack at times. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. A lot of that. But I thought it was kind of, you know, I thought it was pretty smart and, and interesting the way they did that. And, you know, what they say about, you know, mad scientist couples, and I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, <laughs> the couples <laughs> that mad science together, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Does, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> and the, and so the thing- if I want, if mm-hmm. I want to land me a super attractive Mexican alien woman, I just have to be a mad scientist that speaks German. Is that what we're saying here? Well, if you want a blonde one with the, the, the brunette, she just went with the, the, the nearest delivery driver. <laughs> <laughs> That's another crazy thing about this movie. Apparently, the, the, the master, <laughs> and I want to talk to her about her a little bit in just a little bit, but the master handpicked these guys. Like they were saying at one point in the movie, they're like, no, you're supposed to get this guy. And she said, well, we'll talk to the master. She might have another one for you. But she wants, she wants it. It's like, okay, so one's a businessman, one's like an agent, one's a mad scientist, one's a detective, and one's a delivery truck driver. <laughs> Where did that come from? You know? and, and again, the economy of the storytelling, he's just driving along and boop, he's there. He's like, where'd you come from? You know. So I'm going to get me a job delivering for Amazon. And then maybe. <laughs> there you go. Here's how you can get. See, I'm and, thinking. <laughs> and just keep dreaming of that dream girl popping in beside you. You're like, where'd you come from? <laughs> well, and the guy is so nonchalant. It's like, how'd you get here? Oh, I snuck in. Oh, okay. So like, Dude. And she's like, she's like basically throwing herself at him. And he's like, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to have it. You know? I was like, man. <laughs> but he finally falls for the magic kiss. But um, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Now, but I, yeah, very, very like we have plans for these very specific men, but they don't really get into who or why. Well, I mean, they get into who, but not really why. Like, mm-hmm. why is the delivery guy important? I mean, I, I get maybe wanting a scientist. Fine. Mm-hmm. But truck driver. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was that uh, was interesting. Maybe it makes you scratch your head and wonder why. But you're watching a Mexican wrestling movie. You shouldn't wonder why. You should just sit back and enjoy it. Good point. <laughs> Good point. And I think Good point. One of the things I wanted to talk about when we were talking about the uh, the leader, I'm trying to decide, Derek, and help me figure this out. That was either a spinal tap type filmmaking accident or something super, super original. If you remember, the leader was like this little tiny head mm-hmm. inside of like what looked like must have been some kind of giant brain. Right. So I was, so I was thinking, okay, they were probably thinking, oh, either was one this, like a spinal tap type thing where it's like, we want to super leader to have like a big brain, like a big head. And then the, the prop guy or the special effects guy goes, well, how big do you want it? And the guy says, well, you know, like, uh, here, let me write it out for you. And instead of uh, 30 centimeters, he writes 30 meters, you know, by accident. <laughs> we get it. Or, or they were sitting around the, the planning table and deciding how they wanted this to look. And he says, we've already seen uh, big headed 
aliens and we've seen this and we've seen that. Why don't we have a little tiny headed alien? That'll be really original. And so that's what we get. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And another thing about this movie, it starts out very much like classic science fiction movies. The two that come to mind are Day the Earth is Still and Star Wars. Why do I say that? Right away, boom, special effects. They show you right away the, these special effects. I'm trying to do this with a straight face. I was going to say, you're, you're laughing there, Kenny. Why are you <laughs> laughing so much? You, you have to see them to believe them. And I mentioned to you, I, I had sent you like a, uh, a commentary translation track because I couldn't find any subtitles for the movie. I hope that helped you enjoy them. It did, and I loved it. <laughs> my, my favorite parts are when you were uh, telling me the women were saying, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of acted on those ones. Well, anyways, <laughs> well, anyways, special effects in this movie I consider nostalgic, not, and not because nostalgic for all the Harryhausen films that I've seen and loved, and all the Star Wars films, and all the special effects films that came after Star Wars, and right, all that. But it's nostalgic for the times when, when I was a kid, and there was a time where it's like I want to be a special effects technician. So I got my dad's little eight millimeter camera. Didn't really have a, a single frame. So I kind of had to tap the trigger and hope that it would take one frame, but sometimes it would take two or three. Sure. And I, and I got this little plastic Ghidra model that had movable head and, and I would animate it and pop that thing and move it a little bit and pop it again. And then I had some cotton and I kind of made the cotton grow out of the mouth like it was breathing, you know, smoke or flame. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good idea. I spent several hours putting this thing together and then I put it on and it, would, it went so fast at regular speed that it was just like, what? And then I slowed it down and run it like eight frames a second and it's like, oh, okay, see there, see it's animating, it's working. And I did a couple projects like that. And what I realized is I'm never going to be a special effects technician. I don't have the patience to do this. I don't know how they do mm. it so fancily. But I think if I had seen this movie, you know, during that time, I would have been inspired. Hey, I can make it. I can be a special effects technician because I can definitely do that kind of special effect. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, the, the special effects are, uh, you know what? I love the DIY. I love the do-it-yourself kind of approach. I love that I can tell that they just put a model in a fish tank and said, there's our, <laughs> our spaceship in a lake. Um, and it's so obvious. I mean, it's, it's, oh. but it's, it's, it's great at the same time. It's like, it, it's, Oh, it's great. And, and you think about, think about this, Derek, this is not the fifties, the forties or the fifties where you, where you're having, you know, where you're used to seeing this with plan nine from outer space and other movies. Sure. They just, they don't have it to, to do the special effects. This is 1968, 1969. We're talking Star Trek. And they, of Star Trek, and they had Star Trek on Mexican TV. When I got there, they were showing reruns of Star Trek. I learned a lot of Spanish watching reruns of the Star Trek dubbed into Spanish. Oh, okay. 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know. So they knew what special, yeah. People knew what this, but that's what they gave us. And for me, it was like laughable, but also nostalgic. And made me realize, hey, I try too. 
<laughs> mm-hmm. think those guys got their special effects into a movie that played in, in movie theater somewhere. And we're watching and praising today. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and having fun with it. You know? Sombrero is off to them. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. When they cut to the sh- the first time they cut to the shot of the model in the fish tank, I actually expected them to be like, I was like, oh, I'm going to see something really clever here because now we're going to find out that this is actually a fish tank in some dude's office. <laughs> it's going to pull back and reveal. Nope, it's the spaceship underwater. Like, oh. Okay. <laughs> I, I was hoping. Well, that would have been for... an interesting angle where they are actually like miniature aliens. Oh, there you go. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but then they would grow up, and then they would miniaturize, you know, and then they could have blue demon in the fish tank battling goldfish. Oh, I see. There we go. There's our luchador water underwater monster movie right there. <laughs> yeah. So that <laughs> that was one of the interesting things. Now. What about talking about there were two actual wrestling matches in this movie? Mm-hmm. The first one, the, the, the context of it was kind of interesting. So these alien girls, are, they just talked with their master. They got their marching orders. And then the uh, leader, their leader, says to them, well, let's see how these people fight so that we know we are ready for, you know, we can learn and be ready for them if we have to fight them. And through the magic of uh, alien television, they beam into a women's wrestling match, (laughs) right? Straight from Mexico. And so I loved that. What did I just show this past weekend? Uh, Was it the Aztec women? Yeah. The women versus the Aztec mummy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made a comment that a lot of times with these women's matches in these movies, you don't see the actual women wrestlers perform. You know, they, the actresses aren't wrestlers like Blue Demon and Mascaris and all them were. Mm-hmm. But it was cool to see an extended women's match in a film like this. They're all wearing masks. They're all doing their thing. A couple of them look alike. I really enjoyed that, and I was getting into it. But then I'm a pro wrestling fan, so. Yeah, yeah and, I, and it was actually pretty decent wrestling. Yeah. And I, it felt like they filmed a real match. It wasn't something that they staged just for the movie because there was, you know, the, the stadium was filled and it kind of had the look of a televised match. So I thought that was interesting. Now, one of the, one of the trivia things I wanted to bring out about that particular match, as I was listening to the commentary, which I didn't translate for you because basically it's a translation for the blind, you know, like a, re- a radio announcing, announcing the thing. But he kept saying... It's an Australian tag team match. Australian tag team match. Hmm. And I, I just noticed that actually today as I was re-watching it. I was like, what, what is that? Why did they keep saying that? So I looked it up and I found out what it is. Is There was this Mexican wrestler and he went to a circus. It was, uh, I think it was a circus in Mexico, but it was, it was run by Australians. And they had a bunch of kangaroos. So, and they oh, had six no. kangaroos and they were doing stunts and stuff. Oh, no. But a little girl got into the ring, and a, a kangaroo tried to attack this little girl. So the trainer, tried, he defended her. They got the girl out, but he ended up fighting with his own kangaroos. And three of them were, like, going against him. And the other three were, like, standing in the corner. And I don't know if this is a legend or what, but this is what I read on a Mexican wrestling site. 
And so this wrestler watched all this and he was like, wow. What striked him was, look, it was like three versus three. It was like, it looked like three wrestlers were wrestling at the same time while the other three were on the outside waiting, like a tag team match. But instead of two versus two, it was three versus three. And he went back and told his buddies, why don't we do a wrestling match like this? And, and that's why they call it an Australian tag team match. Believe it or not. It was on the internet, so it must be true, right? Well, that's true, right? Yeah, they wouldn't make something like that up. <laughs> that's what I read. So I'm going to believe that until I hear something different. And it's actually, I found that on a reputable uh, Mexican uh, internet site from uh, a reputable TV company. So it wasn't just some kid or something invented. I don't know. That was kind of interesting little trivia on that match. The other match that we see... Yeah, it again, did take us a while. Yeah. This movie is kind of King Kong-like in this way. It takes us about 20 to 30 minutes before we actually see the hero of our movie, the Blue Demon. A lot of prelim stuff. But when we do see him, we can see him in a pretty decent, looked like a real live filmed wrestling match, a tag team match. The interesting about, thing about this particular one, uh, interesting to me, because there was actually a black wrestler in there. And that is something, to be honest with you, here in Mexico, it's unusual. And so I was listening to the name, and here is a guy whose name is uh, Dory Dixon. And he is actually from Jamaica. And they mentioned that in the play-by-play, the guy saying, the Jamaicano, the Jamaicano. And he actually was born in Jamaica, um, became a wrestler, and he did most of his wrestling. He did some wrestling in Japan, in the United States, but most of his wrestling he did in Mexico and he had uh, a Mexican trainer and he was pretty uh, well built and it was a pretty good wrestler. It was interesting. It was an interesting match and he matched up well against Blue Demon. But another interesting fact about Dory Dixon is that um, after he retired, he became a minister for the Seventh-day Adventist Church and he still goes around preaching about health, you know, the Seventh-day Adventists are really into healthy eating and healthy living. So he's still out there, I, I think. I have some connections with uh, the Christian community in Mexico, and and I know of a couple of Seventh-day Adventists. So I was like imagining, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he came and spoke at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is right down the street from where I live. And I could, and I could go and interview him about Wrestling Blue Demon, wouldn't that be so cool? <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he had some championships, too, in his history. I'm looking him up now. He was NWA America's Tag Team Championship at NWA Hollywood, NWA Texas. He had some championships. That's awesome. It's interesting and unique. I think there was a couple of uh, uh, Asian wrestlers in, in the Mexican uh, wrestling in its time. There's a couple Asian ones in there, but it's it was like, whoa, I've, I've not seen a black wrestler. And it was, so I looked him up and that was, I thought that was interesting. That's very cool. Uh, you want to talk about the scuba gear real quick? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a point, all of the movies <laughs> place around the lake. And uh, this little boy tells Blue Demon and his friend that uh, these girls come out of the lake. So they decide, well, you know what? We, we better investigate. So Blue Demon goes to his beautiful white 66 Mustang opens up the trunk and he just happens to have along with his trunks and extra mask scuba equipment. And he goes down and he goes swimming and he's looking in it. And one of the girls goes out and here they can 
swim, and he says they can swim like a fish, and they're <laughs> without scuba equipment. And he gets kind of in a little tussle with one of them underwater. So we have some underwater wrestling, male female wrestling. So wow, you know. Yeah, that was uh, cool. That was that was actually really cool. I liked that. And he and he said, you know, she has super strength. Well, anyways, he loses his scuba equipment, goes back up, but you know, and tells his friend, you know what, I need to go back. And his friend says, well, if we can find my car, I have some scuba equipment in my truck. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, if you've, ever, if you've ever been to Mexico City. That entire, that place is probably 50, I don't know how many square miles of nothing but concrete. <laughs> so, absolutely no reason for anyone to carry scuba equipment in their car. There's just no reason. When Frank Children's on the show, we talk about how Santo is the Superman of luchadors and Blue Demon is the Batman of luchadors. And I just keep thinking Batman always had that, like the bat shark repellent just in case. You know, Blue Demon's got the scuba gear just in case. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mentioned that in one of our, one of our other uh, episodes that we've done where he's a jack of all trades. He knows yep. how to do everything. And, and one, you know, he's a scuba diver. He's a detective. And he also is a mechanic. You know, he opens up the hood and said the car's not starting. He opens up the hood and he goes, hey, this isn't going because they ain't got no cable. You know, so he, he, <laughs> he's always ha he's, he's very resourceful. He's beyond just a fighter. Yeah. And that's another thing I wanted to mention where the, the fights in this film beyond the wrestling matches, which were early in the movie, relatively early in the movie after Blue Demon's match with uh Dory Dixon and, and that tag team match, there's no more ring wrestling. But we do have a couple pretty good fights yeah. in the hotel room. And um, again, they're, at first glance, they're not overly impressive. But when you really look at them on a, on a second, third viewing, you can really see that there's some pretty good stunts going on. And there's some goofy stuff like this one guy's just hanging and the other guy's just hitting him on it. You know, it's like, well, why is he just fall or, you know, why is he hanging there sure. by his hands? But, the, <laughs> but there's other sections of it and the sound effects. And it seems like, well, they're really hitting each other, you know, whether they're stuntmen or wrestlers and they're jumping off. The it was really well done. Yeah, I thought that there was some pretty good stuff. There's a little bit, little sections of, oh, that stage type of thing. But there's other parts of it that were, these are pretty good, pretty good fights. And I, I always like a good fight scene. I was kind of impressed with the ones in this movie, the, the two main ones. And there's another one where they attack Blue Demon by his car and he bashes the guy. <laughs> he gets the guy in the guy in his trunk and bashes him with the trunk door and all that. So that was, that was, a, <laughs> that was a pretty good fight. I, I enjoyed those. Typically with these movies, I feel like they, they always end with a match in a wrestling ring. Mm-hmm. You don't have any of that here. It, it, you get the wrestling out early, and then the rest of the fighting is all outside of the ring with the bad guys or whatever. And I liked that, too. It's kind of a, a, a break in the formula that I've gotten used to, which I like. Uh, and it was interesting. It becomes more of like a blue demon, becomes more like a detective. And I'm, I'm going to rescue my friend. And, you know, and this wouldn't be appropriate for him to be wrestling too much with women. So, uh, you know, they, they bring out the flamethrowers, which were some interesting effects there. <laughs> so. Those were, you know, we were kind of giggling about that, but I really kind of liked it. You could hear me laughing on my track. I, I mean, it's 
they're they're hiding behind <laughs> a, a huge rock, and she blasts it with that thing, and that thing just disappears and blows up okay. at the same time. Yeah, that, that that was a little silly. It was kind of silly, but it was actually kind of an interesting effect because it was like, whoa, it was laughable. And then and they and instantly they get up with everyone with their hands raised. It's like we cannot deal with this, you know. <laughs> and they're just yeah, they they know. I liked that a lot too. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I, we're doing it again. I'm doing it again. Aren't I? It was so much fun. I'm not gonna say it. Gonna so say much it. fun. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. It's uh, enjoyable. But but it was diverting. It's any other cinnamon of a f u n word. <laughs> <laughs> it was very pleasant. <laughs> Yes, I, I, would, I was never bored. How about that? <laughs> yes, that's that's the fantastic thing about these wrestling movies. And again, when I was talking about the economy of filmmaking, the plot devices, where they're just they're mm-hmm. not boring you with a lot of exposition, with a lot of driving around. Like one of the things I I was struck by where the main part of the film takes place. Uh, my guess is that it took place in a in a town called. Toluca, which is north of Mexico City. And of course, Mexico City now is like this gigantic metropolitan orb. And it's almost engulfing Toluca. But when you go north of Mexico City, you go into a region of Mexico, which is very much like the Pacific Northwest. Lots of pine trees, and there's a lot of lakes. And the climate's very cooler, and it also gets cold, and sometimes you even have snow. But it's very, very, very much like the Pacific Northwest. Okay. But, of course, he's in Mexico City, and he goes to the detective, the police department, and they're telling him, hey, your friend has disappeared. And the last we heard, he was going to go to this lake. And I don't, they didn't say which lake. No one ever said which lake it was, but Lou Demon knew where it was for some reason. To me, what's the economy of this is like they show him driving away from the detective's office. They show him one place like, okay, if you're from Mexico City, oh, you know, that's like on the edge of town. Uh, Like there's some monuments that usually, you know, they're a part of the freeway and they're outside of town and boom, he's in the forest. (laughs) Any other movie, you know, you're going to be in the car. They're going to play a song. There's going to be a montage. Get on with it. Come on. And that's I see that a lot in modern day filmmaking where it's just like, why does the movie have to be two hours and 20 minutes long? Why? Why do they make these movies so long? Why, Why are we seeing every little thing that they're doing. Why can't they cut? And this movie is like, we're not afraid to cut. People want to get down to business. Boom. We're going from here to there. Those girls are in the spaceship. Boom. They're with their guys that they're trying to kidnap. And they've been with them for a week or more. And it's like, what? But at the same time, it's like, how great that is that we don't have to sit through. How did they meet these guys? How did they get together? This and that, this and that. That would make it long enough to be, a whole series or a three hour movie. It's like, we don't need that. It gets right down to business. And I, I like that about this movie. And that's one of the reasons that these movies are, are never boring. They just, they get, get, they get down to business and they get into things. Now there's some parts like we were talking about the girls being in one at a time when the rest of the movie, they beam all together and there's no smoke. They just put their hands on their heads and whoop, they're gone and whoop, they, they arrive. But this thing, they're arriving one at a time, but it's like, that's not boring because they're, they're nice looking girls. So that was kind of fun. So I, I enjoyed this movie again on multiple viewings. The first time I got it and the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is so cheesy. I can't believe it. What year was this? <laughs> when you realize 
who it was made for at this point in, in the late 60s. These were kids' movies for teen, you know, adolescents. A lot of kissing going on and some intense kissing. <laughs> well, and the whole thing with the, I'm not your secretary anymore, so now we can go out to dinner and the whole <laughs> implied bit with, uh, well, I'm your secretary, so I, I don't know. It, it's It's really kind of that stereotypical the boss has got a little something, something going on with the secretary kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't watch this. Uh, if you have to be politically correct, do not watch Mexican, older Mexican movies. <laughs> you will be offended. It's, it's part of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just part of the thing. I think we all kind of know going into it. That that's what we're going to get. And, you know, it's just, it's just a look at the times, but that's not what these movies are about. Anyway, these movies are about blue demon, or, or whatever Luchador is, it's the lead saving the day mm-hmm. and save the day he does. And I love it. I love him for that. Yeah. Another section during that whole section where they're showing the girls uh, kidnapping their different men is the one with the song. That was kind of a weird thing to me, but uh, the song was kind of a weird song. You had made a comment about that song, uh, but what was, the, what was it called again? Did we get a title or... The main line that she's singing is how black I am. So it's, but she's talking about her heart. It's harder to translate singing. But that was the line she kept on saying, I'm so black, I'm so black. <laughs> and I thought, was, I thought that was kind of a strange song. But basically, she's talking, singing about, you know, her, uh, you know, not treating her man right or something like that. To me, that seemed kind of out of place. And it kind of replaced the dancing that we've seen in other movies. This one had a little dancing sequence. But it was thankfully kind of short. The main girl and her guy were in the nightclubs a little bit. And they showed maybe like 30 seconds of dancing. And the last one, they had like a three-minute dance sequence. They had nothing to do. Anything, a lot of dancing. You know. And this one, they had a short thing, but then they had this song. And again, I feel like, you know, I needed more time to investigate and see, well, is the, did this girl become a star or was she trying to become a star? Did someone do her a favor? Or what? why were, was this song in the middle of this movie? Because it didn't really fit. And again, the song wasn't horrible. It was kind of unusual, but it wasn't horrible. And there were little sections like that where, yeah, it was like, was that necessary? Kind of didn't need to be there type of thing. But other than that, the movie just kind of moves along and you just never, it doesn't let you breathe. It just keeps going from place to place, getting to the end of the movie. And it's a somewhat satisfying ending, you know. And it, I almost was waiting for the very end for the famous Jack Harris question mark to come out. <laughs> Could it be possible that we'll have a sequel? They didn't get their guys. Those people are still dying of the virus. They could always come and pick up some more. So maybe we'll have a sequel someday. Maybe. What one can hope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much more to say about the movie, except it's out there. Um, you might not be able to find it tr- with any kind of subtitles or anything, but it's one of those movies you don't really need subtitles. I mean, it's the language of Lucha. Yeah. What <laughs> more do you need, right? I did go looking for it uh, when you first brought up the movie to see if I could find a copy somewhere. I have a few places that I can source these things out at, and I didn't have much. I didn't have any luck finding any kind of subtitled or even or dubbed. Uh, a lot of times, even there might be a fan subtitled track out there, and I didn't even find that. I'm doing a project to just heads up for people. Uh, you're going to be hearing uh, a repeat of my audio look at famous monsters this month during the Mexican lich, lich thing. It's they're two years old. So 
shouldn't mind that. And I won't be doing video segments because I have a project, kind of a subtitling project. And I, oh, I, really? I found a really easy way on this program I have to do the subtitles, and I'm, I'm moving through it pretty quick. So maybe I'll uh, do a subtitle on this and just get it to, out to our friends. Monster Kid Radio. Oh, we'll have to talk more about that. That sounds fascinating. Again, there's not that much dialogue in this movie, so I could probably handle that, and it would be kind of a fun little project to do. Again, it's not. It's a movie that you'll have fun with, even without subtitles, like many of these Mexican movies. Of course. All right. Well, Kenny, thanks for doing this. I know we kind of snuck it in, kind of spur of the moment. I appreciate you being uh, flexible with me in terms of timing and, and willing to do this. I miss chatting with you, man. That's the biggest thing that I miss about the convention is that I miss seeing my friends. I miss hanging out with you, brother. So thank you. Sometimes I feel like I wanted to do something. I even mentioned this to you once, but just do something even with other people. I like the Twitch stream and all that, but it doesn't satisfy that need of real, I'm going to say a fellowship, you know, where you're talking with people and getting it back and forth mm -hmm. as much with the chatting. I was thinking about, oh, let's do like a, a classic five hour or something where there's more of this and more people joining together and doing stuff like this. Cause I do enjoy this too. And thanks for having me again. And I'm of always course, open man. for any kind of movie. I know you have a lot of guests lined up all the time and that's great. And, uh, but I'm always willing. And if you need another Mexican monster movie to fill out this Lucha de Mayo, I could do another one. Up to you, buddy. Hey, I might take you up on that. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but do not, <laughs> I, I've got another. Do not fail us for Lucha de Mayo. There's no reason for it. Not. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. Now, I, I do have to tell you, I'm going to cheat on you a little bit because next week I'm doing another Blue Demon movie, but it's with somebody else. <gasps> no. <laughs> Come there and destroy you. Oh no. What? Well, it, you'll have to. You'll have to have words with Tom Greganis about that one. He's the one that recommended the movie. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Which one are you doing? Which one are you doing? Uh, Blue Demon and is, is it Zordek? Zorbeck? Uh, man, I can't remember. <laughs> I better find out before I record with him, huh? Cool. If you send me a link if you find it on YouTube or whatever. Send me a link and uh, I'll send you some comments or something. Okay. That's cool. I, I want to see and finally make a determination what is the best Blue Demon movie. My ultimate goal. There you go. <laughs> I can't believe that one with these paired with Santo and Santo's the main star. Come on. Blue Demon did his own movies. He's got to have one that's better. Right now, I can't tell you which one. I, the three that we've done, I can't tell you which one I like the best. They're, they've all been good for me. <laughs> Zovek and Blue Demon in the Invasion of the Dead. Sounds like a good one. The title sounds great. You know, that movie's actually been on my radar for a long time because I considered talking about it on Monster Kid Radio once. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not much kid radio. I'm sorry. Mail order zombie way back in the day. So, okay. So yeah, it's been on my radar for a while. So I'll let you know how it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Kenny. All right. Well, it's good talking to you. I'll let you get back to your streaming and, uh, and hopefully we'll be in touch sooner rather than later and later. Yep. Thanks again, man. Yep. Adios. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Cabezones de Radio de los Niños Monstruos. Soy Kenny con un vistazo a monstruos famosos de la tierra del cine. To celebrate Lucha de Mayo, we are going to look at a four-part series featured in Famous Monsters 121, 122, 
124, and 125, which all came out in 1976, entitled Monsters from Mexico Terror from Below the Border, which was written by Walt Lee. The editor introduced the first article with these comments. Godzilla and Company. You entreated us to show you all the terrors from Tokyo, the nightmares from Nagasaki, the horrors from Hiroshima, and we did in issue 114. We covered Mad Labs for you at your request. At your behest, have done our best on Lugosi, Lon Sr., and Jr., Lee Cushing. We've gone to bat on vampires, and our metal has been tested on our coverage of robots. Now, in a two or possibly even three part feature that will be referred to for years to come as the definitive Mexican monster movie guide, we bring you the results of 20 years of research by the celebrated creator of the legendary reference guide to fantastic films, Walt Lee himself. Walt takes over and briefly mentions the 1934 Phantom of the Convent. Which will be featured at the 2019 Summer Monster Bash and 1952's The Resurrected Body, before giving a full synopsis of the first luchador monster movie from 1956, The Body Snatcher. He then continues with a look at the Nostradamus series, which was a Mexican serial that was converted into a four film series which features Herman Robles as Nostradamus, who is a vampire, not a prophet. Before the next synopsis, Walt had this to say about Mexican monsters. Many of the monsters in Mexican horror films of the last dozen years or so have been patterned after characters in the Universal films. In many cases, the mask made by Don Post based on Universal's monsters have been used with various additions to complete the costume. Sometimes the names of the characters have been slightly altered. For example, the Frankenstein monster has been called Frentenstein. Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Frankenstein with a QE, and Frankenstein. He next reviews the film Frankenstein, The Vampire and Company, which is an unofficial remake of Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. He continues with a brief look at 1962's Macabre Path, which features vampires, 1964's Adventure at the Center of the Earth, and from 1966, Dinosaur Island. Which features footage borrowed from Hal Roach's 1 Million BC. And that ends the first part of the series, a nine page article with 16 photos. Hasta luego, amigos! Colonel, the message is Mars needs. Women. These were the words that startled the world. This was the reason for an invasion that shocked the earth. Martians, beings from outer space, with one prime objective women, earth women, to help repopulate their dying planet, to bring new blood to an ancient civilization. <coughs> Beauty and the beasts. Only the beasts were men. Martian men. Every woman checked and double checked. Only the most perfect. The most beautiful. Is Earth to be ravished because Mars needs women? 
mightiest monster meets the world's mightiest menace. King Kong, bigger, stronger, more ferocious than any living creature, faces his greatest challenge in King Kong Escapes. For now, Kong meets his greatest foe, a duplicate King Kong created by an evil genius, built of indestructible super steel, 60 towering feet of invincible robot. King Kong, who can defy the might of modern artillery, tanks, missiles, the vast strength of prehistoric monsters, clashes with the Kong of Steel in the battle of the century in King Kong Escapes. All new, all thrilling, more fantastic than ever, King Kong Escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release in Technicolor. Thanks once again to all of our patrons. Thank you to Mark and Kenny for all of their hard work here on the show. Thanks to Steve and Captain Billy for calling in. Thanks to all of you who retweet the tweets, share the posts, give us honest reviews wherever it is you download podcasts these days because it's constantly changing. I just want to say thank you to everybody who helps support Monster Kid Radio and helps to support me. I also want to say thank you to all of you who supported Monster Kid Radio in this year's Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. So... I've mentioned this on Facebook and on Twitter, and it's already been announced in the Classic Horror Film Board's uh, forums as well. Monster Kid Radio did not win Best Multimedia this year. We were a runner-up again, uh, you know, and that's great. I really appreciate everybody kind of backing us there and just, you know, sharing the Monster Kid love. I appreciate that you appreciate this community and this podcast that you've helped me create. What I did not expect is, um, <laughs> I still don't know what to say about this, so I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to address this. I'll probably produce a video in the near future since I won't be able to go to the actual ceremony that's happening at Wonderfest next month, but I was inducted into the Monster Kid Hall of Fame. Um, it's still stunning to me that that happened. I, I know that a lot of you in the chat uh, over at the stream when we do the Monster Kid Movie Club movie days and such have talked about it. And I know there was kind of a movement on Facebook with some of you, but I, I really didn't expect it. Um, not that I didn't trust you guys and gals, but there are just so many other people out there that have done so much more and have had so much of a uh, I'm not even able to put my words together. So I'm going to stop. I'm just going to say, if you were part of that, or even if you weren't, if you, I mean, just, I don't know, just thank you. I'll try to put my words together better um, within the next week or two. Cause like I said, I do need to put a video together uh, to send over to uh, the people at the convention since I won't be able to be there in person. Oh man. Um, where do I go from there? Uh, Also, uh, congratulations to uh, friends of the show who won Rondo Awards as well. I'm not really uh, prepared to do this, so I'm just off the top of my head. Ansel Farage won for Best Short Film for The Thousand Lives of Dr. Mabuse. And Dr. Gang Green won for Best Interview for an interview he did with Bruce Campbell in Scary Monsters Magazine. I know Steve Turek also placed really well for Best Interview for his interview with Donnie Dunnigan on the Die Hard Movie Podcast. Um, I'm sure there are others that 
came in. Oh, Carrie Gamble's book, uh, the Dracula graphic novel did well. You know what? I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You can check out the winners, the runners up and all of that yourself. And then uh, maybe next week I'll have my act together and I'll be able to go over a list in prison. But yeah, this whole Rondo thing, um, I just didn't expect it. So thank you. I appreciate it. I mentioned the show notes that you can find at monsterkidradio.net. That's where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here in the show. On the show, you're going to find links to all the movies we've talked about. You're going to find links to Steve Sullivan's book. You're going to find our contact information. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio is right there. So hop on over there when you're done listening to this episode if you need more information. There's even links to Amazon. Those are our Amazon affiliate links. I think I already mentioned those. If you click on those, even if you're buying something completely unrelated to Amazon, please consider using that affiliate link, even if you aren't going to buy the book or the movie or whatever it takes you to because you still stay within the monster kid radio, Amazon umbrella, and we still get a little bit of kickback from Amazon and it helps to support the show. And I really appreciate that. Anything that you guys and gals can do to help out what we do here is just, it means the world. Let's talk about next week. So I have a recording coming up with Tom Greganis from go forth and game. Tom's been on the show before. He's going to be on the show again. When we talk about another Blue Demon movie. I think I mentioned it in the conversation with Kenny. Let me see if I can remember the title of it. Uh, is Blue Demon and... Ah! Zovek and Blue Demon in the Invasion of the Dead. I have never seen this before, but like I told Kenny, it's something that's been on my radar for years uh, because I was going to talk about it on Mail Order Zombie way back in the day. So we'll see how that goes. I'm excited to talk about it with Tom. So that's coming up. I also have a message out to Frank Schildener to come on to talk about a Mil Moskers film, hopefully here soon. I don't know which Mil Moskers film we're going to do. We're starting to get to the point to where it gets more and more difficult to find a luchador movie that has a subtitled track. Uh, you know, the big ones, they have subtitles you can, or you can find maybe like a fan produced subtitled track somewhere. But once you start getting more and more obscure, it gets a little bit more difficult. So Frank and I are trying to come up with a Mel Moskers film. If you have any suggestions, I'm all ears. I'll take whatever suggestions to Frank and we'll go from there. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Beatnik Bandit. That is copyright The Blue Demons, which you can find on Facebook. Just look up The Blue Demons. Now, I don't think they've put out any albums lately, and I wasn't able to easily find any of their music for sale online. However, on their Facebook page, they've got links to various performances that they've done recently and that sort of thing. So check them out over on Facebook and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Adios. Adios.